Did any of you are any of you golf fans? Did you watch the Ryder Cup? It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. That's all. That's all I have to say. Hey, shh, bring it in. Shh, shh, quiet, shh, quiet, shh, quiet, shh, quiet. So it's important to mention in uh, this temptation account that we just read that only three temptations are mentioned here. So there are three accounts of three different temptations. I'm struggling to move this stool up here. Sorry. There's only three temptations that are mentioned here, and I'm just going to run through those super quick. So the first one, command this stone to become bread. Temptation number one, command this stone to become bread. The enemy was appealing to Jesus' hunger and Jesus' physical needs. I want you to write that down if you're taking notes because that's important. And we're going to come back to that. So the enemy was appealing to Jesus' hunger and his physical needs. The second one, worship me, the devil said to him. Satan said to him, worship me and I will give you power. Now you might think that seems odd for the enemy, Satan, to say to Jesus, hey, I'll give you power. But we know That after the fall, God gave Satan reign over the earth and a form of power. And so essentially, he brought Jesus and showed him all the kingdoms and said, you could rule over all of these kingdoms now. Well, what do we know about the end of time? That Jesus will rule all kingdoms. And so this wasn't the enemy saying to Jesus, hey, you could have power that you don't have. It was the enemy saying to Jesus, hey, you know you're going to rule everything in a couple thousand years. Don't you just want it now? Like, don't you just want to skip the whole crucifixion thing? Don't you just want to, like, bow down and I can give you what you're going to have to die for? He was appealing to Jesus's inevitable future. He was saying, just take a shortcut to get there. Number three, test God. See if the angels will save you. I mean, apparently God says angels will save you. Just try it out. He was appealing to Jesus' glory. He was saying, test your father. He was tempting Jesus to doubt the faithfulness and goodness of God. He wanted Jesus to feel like he wasn't secure. He wanted Jesus to feel like, did God really say that? Does he really mean that? In fact, evidence points us in the direction of there being more temptations than just these three accounts, but for the full 40 days. Evidence seems to tell us that these three temptations are just highlighting or painting a broad picture of what common temptations the average person uh, uh, go through. So temptations of the physical body. I know we all can think of a time when we were tempted with our physical body. Temptations of what we'll call like ends justify the means, like taking shortcuts to get somewhere that's inevitably going to happen. Like, you know, I'm probably going to pass this class if I study, so why not just cheat to get there? Taking shortcuts, sinful shortcuts, and self-glory. 
temptations of physical body, temptations of sinful shortcuts, and temptations of self-glory. One note I want to hone in on once more before we really dive into the, the meat of this message is a reminder of Jesus' humanity. We spent last week talking about Jesus' genealogy in the same gospel account of Luke, and we saw that he, like us, is a son of Adam, which just means he's completely human. He was no more or no less human than we are. He was completely human. In fact, the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Jesus did not merely resemble humankind in some qualities of humanity, but he in every way, or other translations say, in all things, he was made like us. But there was one difference. He had no sin. He was completely human, but he was also completely without sin. And so the temptations that Jesus experienced were as real as any temptation you have ever experienced. It was as real as the temptation you had yesterday to watch porn after your parents had gone to sleep. It was as real as the temptation you had this past Saturday at an after party after homecoming to drink or do drugs. It was as real as the temptation you had this past week to cheat on your math quiz because you just didn't study enough. Every single temptation Jesus experienced was as real as the temptations you have experienced. But Jesus, unlike us, withstood them as a real man who was like us in every way. In fact, the author of Hebrews concludes with this. He says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And so with all of this being considered, three things are what we're going to talk about tonight. I want us to consider the three things, these three things when it comes to temptation and how Jesus helps us when we are actually being tempted. And so I'm just going to tell you off the forefront, this is a highly practical message. Like we're not going to get super deep theologically. This is going to be like grab and go. You know what I mean? How many, does, do the targets over here, like have they had that like grab and go area now? So in Richfield where we live or Minneapolis area, our target used to have like a, a pizza hut. Now it's just like a grab and go pizza hut. So there's no human interaction. You just grab one, you check out, and you leave. This is like a grab and go message. I want you to take what I'm saying, take it, go into the world, allow it to change the way that you live. It's highly practical. It's about learning how to listen to God when he says, leave it. It's about how listening to God when he says, leave it, could quite literally save your life. Are you ready? Okay, we're not ready. Let's try one more time. Are you ready? Thank you. That was much better. Okay. So how do we obey God in the face of temptation? Point number one, depend on the Holy Spirit. You've probably heard this a billion times. Every single youth ministry Church temptation message starts with this. Depend on the Holy Spirit. Verses 1 through 2. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, 
returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they ended, he was hungry. The attribute used here to describe Jesus as he goes out into the wilderness, prepared to fight the temptation of the devil, was that he was full of the Holy Spirit. It's actually important to mention here that Jesus was fully aware of the fact that he was the incarnate Son of God. This, like, it's not like that knowledge didn't exist in his mind. He went into his baptism knowing, I am the Son of God. And he went into the wilderness knowing, I am the Son of God. And yet, in the wilderness, he withstood the onslaughts of Satan as a real man. Deriving his power to resist by depending upon his Father for strength. See, what's interesting about this is, I told you about the baptism that happened before this. We see two things happening in these accounts. And they actually stand opposite of one another. Jesus' baptism was the counterpart to his temptation. In the waters of the Jordan, the river where Jesus was baptized, the mouth of heaven opened And the Spirit of God descended upon Jesus like a dove. And at his temptation, the mouth of hell yawned. And Satan ascended to Jesus as a tempter. Both of these, by the power of God's Spirit, prepared Jesus to live as the victorious Son. So also does the Holy Spirit prepare us to live as victorious sons and victorious daughters of God. In fact, an an essential fact of this temptation story is that the Holy Spirit actually led Jesus into the wilderness. And Jesus leaned on the Holy Spirit while walking throughout the wilderness. And so I have a question for you. Where do you typically run Or what do you typically lean on when faced with temptation? Is it the Holy Spirit? If not, what is it? Do you pursue another sin to bury the temptation? See, I actually think this is our primary choice. We don't actually lean on the Holy Spirit. Instead, we bury it with another sin. Let's take that party that maybe you were at last Saturday as an example. In order to defeat the onslaught of your pressuring friends, you agreed to a drink in order to resist a joint. You agreed to drink in order to resist doing drugs. You said, you know, drinking, not as bad as doing drugs. I'm going to drink so they'll stop asking me to do drugs. You bury one temptation by falling into another. Friends, this is not the way of Jesus. Jesus, while in the wilderness, did not bury the temptation with sin. Instead, he leaned on the Holy Spirit. So how can you do this practically? How can you practically lean on the Holy Spirit? Well, it starts with knowing the words of God, which brings us to point number two, which is know the word and understand how to interpret it correctly. Jesus grew up around good Jewish folks. 
He had good Jewish parents and was taught the good Jewish sacred scriptures, and he was acutely aware of the story of Israel wandering around the wilderness for 40 years, failing at each and every turn to obey God and resist the temptations of the world around them. Jesus, knowing the story of his ancestors and knowing the power of his father, did what Israel could never do and survived 40 days of temptation. But how? Evidently, Jesus reflected long and hard on Israel's wilderness failures because he answered Satan's temptations with three references to portions of the book of Deuteronomy that make references to the very failure of Israel in the wilderness we are talking about. Those are Deuteronomy 8.3, 6.13, and 6.16. These portions of Scripture hold the key to understanding Jesus' three temptations and his victory over them. And I want you to think about this. This wilderness setting was dramatic. See, between the inhabited part of Judea and the Dead Sea, So if you know how Israel is structured, there's the inhabited part of Judea, the Jerusalem area, the Sea of Galilee, and then down towards the bottom is the Dead Sea. Between those two areas was a place called Jeshimon, which means the devastation. This was the setting of Jesus' resistance. A desolate, dead wasteland. One biblical scholar called it an anti-Eden. And within this devastation sat the weary, 40 days hungry Christ. As the sun bore down upon him and he longed for food. The tempter, Satan, radiating power and promise. The same one who tempted Adam as a serpent slithered towards our Christ, the second Adam, and offered him food, offered him power and glory. And how does our Jesus respond? It is written. What is that banging? Am I the only one hearing that? Goodness gracious, it's crazy. Ah, interesting. How did Jesus respond? He said, it is written. I imagine that Satan, when Jesus would say, it is written, would have visibly recoiled as Jesus slapped him with God's word. He would say to him, just turn this stone to bread, and Jesus would respond, it is written. Another recoil. Change of subject. Realizing he was not going to be able to befall the Christ with that line of thinking, he moved on to the next to which Jesus is responded again. He responded again, it is written. Another recoil. I, 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 I believe though he was hungry, desperately famished, he knew he was the son of God. He knew he could meet his need in a millisecond, but he was an obedient son. And the Father's word in this moment, though he was hungry, was his meat and his drink. Jesus resisted the temptation without the benefit of his own power. 
showing himself to be the perfect, obedient man. And Jesus actually resisted the schemes of Satan because he knew God's word. In fact, we even see that Satan tried to use God's word against God himself. He repeats Jesus' strategy and he actually misquotes scripture at Jesus. If you read Luke 4.10, it says this, For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. But Jesus knew scripture so he didn't fall for the trap. Friends, let me just tell you something loud and clear. And anyone above the age of uh, like 21 can tell you that this is true. The enemy is going to try and get you to misuse and abuse God's word. He's going to try and get you to pull scripture out of context and ask you, did God really mean that? Does that sound familiar? Did God really mean that, Eve? Did he really mean don't eat the fruit? Does he really mean that about sexuality? Does he really mean that about marriage? Does he really mean that about hate? After all, he doesn't know what he did to you. Does he really mean it? He is going to try and get you to misuse and abuse God's own words. In fact, we see it all the time in our world. And just like it corrupted in the garden, so also is it corrupting today. But what did Jesus do? He clung to that word. This is actually our third part, our, our third point. Cling to the word. There's personal wisdom in this story for us who are sons and daughters of God. In fact, you heard me say this last week that uh, all human beings everywhere on earth are imago Dei. That's just Latin for image of God. All human beings are made in the image of God. But not all human beings are sons and daughters of God. It is only those who confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord who are sons and daughters of God. And so I want to take a moment. There are many in this room who can say confidently, I have confessed with my mouth and I have believed in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and I know I am a son or I know I am a daughter. But there are some of you in this room who have not done that. You have not believed in your heart. You have not confessed with your mouth. And so I'm going to have everyone just bow your heads, close your eyes. This is not an altar call. But I want you right now to think. Have you actually believed? Have you actually understood who Jesus is? We spent two weeks talking about Jesus' family and what it means about who Jesus is. Do you actually believe that Jesus was the Son of God? Do you actually believe that he came and he lived a perfect life? He died a perfect death and was risen back to life, defeating sin forever. If you actually believe that, God's own word says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Not you might, but you will. So right now, step one, believe. 
you've never done that before, in your heart, if God is prompting you, believe. You guys can look back up at me. The second part of that is confess with your mouth. Your small group leaders, or at least most of them, have been told to give you an opportunity at the beginning of small groups, if you've never done this, to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. I would encourage you, if you have never done that, even if you're a good Christian kid, even if you've been coming here your whole life and you've never actually looked someone in the eyes and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do that today. Do that today. And know that you will be saved. And so, like I said, there's personal wisdom in this story for us who are believers of Jesus Christ, who are sons and daughters of God. If our temptation may not be to turn stones into bread because that would be impossible for us. Maybe not possible for Justin Fields, but impossible for us. Matt, you can't say that. I, you're right. I probably shouldn't say that. It's a joke. It's a joke. It is. But it would be impossible for us. But time after time, and we all know this is true. Time after time, we choose something other than trusting Jesus. Time after time, we choose something other than trusting Jesus. We regularly succumb to the temptation to get our filling outside of God's word. We regularly do it. But Jesus tells us that we must cling to God's word for our every need. Maybe right now you're feeling tempted to go back to your ex-boyfriend who spoke evil into you. Because you're just so lonely and being with him is better than this loneliness you're experiencing. We regularly succumb to these temptations. It is written, Psalms 139, 7-10, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. And your right hand shall hold me. Are you currently tempted to find your identity in your sport because you feel like it's the only reason why you're popular and get to hang out with the people that you do? It is written, 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Are you currently being tempted to leave the faith because it's just too hard to be a Christian in your school right now? It is written, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Friends, this might sound cheesy, but you need to identify where you are most susceptible to temptation and start memorizing battle verses for when you face that temptation. 
and I use that phrase purposely, battle verses. God's word refers to itself as a sword. The sword of the spirit. The sword of truth. When you go to battle with the enemy, you should have your weapon, which is the word of God. If you don't have scripture ready when you are being tempted, then you are like a soldier without a sword, a miner without a pickaxe, a lumberjack without an axe, a hockey player without a stick, a golfer without clubs, or a musician without their instrument. You will never defeat temptation if you leave your Bible to collect dust on your bookshelf. And a lot of you are like, I just, Matt, I have been stuck in this addiction to porn for years. And God just refuses to help me. And I ask, when is the last time you opened up your Bible? Oh, well, I mean, I'm just so busy. I'm sure you're busy. But are you busy enough not to hear from God? I'm sure you're busy. But are you busy enough to ignore what God is speaking to you? How important is it? Man, I just wish God would speak to me. He has. The method is collecting dust on your bookshelf. If we want to fight temptation, we have to listen to God's words. And so what are your practical steps, right? I said this is going to be a really practical message. So we've talked about like three different things, three different ways and three things that we must do in order to fight temptation. The first one, depend on the Holy Spirit. The second one, know the word and understand how to interpret it correctly. And the third one, cling to the word, cling to that word. So know the word and cling to the word. I'm going to keep it really simple before we wrap up. Your next step, right, so write this down if you're like, Matt, what, to do, what do I do? Your next step is to identify where you are most susceptible to temptation and then memorize scripture that can help you fight that temptation. It's that simple. Like, Matt, is it actually that simple? Yes. Identify where you are most susceptible to temptation and then memorize scripture that can help you fight that temptation. Then, once you have that scripture memorized, move on to the next one. Struggle with loneliness. Struggle with depression. Struggle with pride. Don't know where to go? I'm going to tell you something that most pastors don't tell you. This is our biggest secret. And a lot of you think this is going to be, like, I'm revealing. You know how magicians aren't supposed to reveal their tricks. I'm about to reveal to you the biggest trick of being a pastor. Are you ready for it? It's going to it's going to it's going to just like it's going to blow your mind. It's this thing called Google. Matt, how do you know so much? I don't. I just Google it. It's amazing. So you're like, "Matt, what's the scripture on loneliness?" Well, here's what you can do. Google scripture for when I'm lonely. Scripture for when I'm prideful. Scripture for when I'm doubting. Do that. If you don't know where to start, just Google it. Because we are called to fight temptation like Jesus 
because he gave us the perfect model for how to do it. There's no better model. Depend on the Holy Spirit. Know God's word and how to interpret it. Cling to that word. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. God, thank you that your word is deep, that your word is mysterious in many ways, that your word takes effort to understand. But also, Lord, thank you that there are moments in Scripture, moments that when you speak where it's simple. Like when you say to us to depend on your Holy Spirit, to understand your word and cling to that word. God, be with us as we go to small groups. We love you so much. We praise you in your name. Amen. Amen. See you guys next week. Go to small groups.